Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 218 of The Informed Catholic, episode 218, and we are now in the third week of Advent. So we're going to uh, do the readings for Tuesday of the third week of Advent. So please subscribe and share to my podcast if you like what I do and you think I'm doing a good job. It will be a great help. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. Your salvation comes quickly. Why with grief are you consumed? For sorrow has stricken you. I will save you. Fear not. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Drop dew, you heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain the just one. O God, who gladdens us by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we who now receive with joy your only begotten Son as our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when he comes as our judge. Even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So now uh, let's begin the reading. Entrance Antiphon. Behold, the Lord will come and all his holy ones with him. And on that day, there will be a great light. Uh, from This is from uh, the prophecy of, from Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, four, chapter 14, 5 and 7. O God, through, our, through your only begotten Son, you have made us a new creation. Look kindly, we pray, on the handiwork of your mercy, and at your Son's coming, cleanse us from every stain of the old way of life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. And this now the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 1, 2, 9, and 13. Messianic salvation is promised to all of the poor. A reading from the book of the Holy Prophet Zephaniah. Thus says the Lord, Woe to the city rebellious and polluted, to the tyrannical city. She hears no voice, accepts no correction. In the Lord she has, she has not trusted. To her God she has not drawn near. For then I will change and purify the lips of the people, that they, will, that they all may call upon the name of the Lord, to serve him with one accord. From, from beyond the river of Ethiopia, as far as the recesses of the north, they shall bring me offerings, on that day, you need not be ashamed of all your deeds, your rebellious actions against me. 
for then I will remove from your midst the proud braggarts, and you shall no longer exalt yourself on my holy mountain, but I will leave I will leave as a remnant in your midst a people humble and, and lowly who shall take refuge in the name of the Lord, the raiment of Israel. They shall do no wrong and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue. They shall pasture and coach their flocks with none to disturb them. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And the response of the psalm is from Psalm 34. And the response is, the Lord hears the cry of the poor. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be ever on my mouth. Let my soul glory in the Lord. The lowly will hear me and be glad. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. The Lord confronts the evildoers to destroy remembrance of them from the earth. The Lord confronts the evildoers to destroy remembrance of them from the earth. When the city, when the just city cry out, the Lord hears them. And from when the just cry out, the Lord will hear them. From all their distress, he rescues them. The Lord confronts the evildoers to destroy, to destroy remembrance of them from the earth. When the just cry out, the Lord hears them, and from all their distress he rescues them. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. To those who are crushed in spirit he saves. The Lord redeems the lives of their servants. No one incurs guilt who takes refuge in him. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. Alleluia, alleluia. Come, Lord, do not delay. Forgive the sins of your people. Alleluia, alleluia. The gospel from Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ from the gospel of St. Matthew. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, What is your opinion? A man has two sons. He comes to the first and says, Son, go out and work in a vineyard today. Then the son said in the reply, I will not. But afterwards he changed his mind and went. The man came to the other son and gives the same order. He said in reply, yes, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? They answered the first. Jesus said to them, amen, amen, I say to you. Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. When John comes to you in the way of righteousness, you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did. Yet even when you saw even when you saw that you did not you you did not later change your mind and believe him the gospel of the lord praise to you lord jesus christ all right so let's go back and look at zephaniah a little bit that was a very long uh reading let's look at what he's what he's telling us here thus says the lord woe to the city rebellious and polluted to the tyrannical city she hears no voice accepts no correction. In the Lord she has not trusted. To her God she has not drawn near. Then, For then I will change and purify the lips of the people, that they all may call upon the name of the Lord, to serve him with accord. From beyond the river of Ethiopia, 
and as far as the recesses of the north, they shall bring me offerings. On that day you need not be ashamed of all your deeds, your rebellious actions against me, for then I will remove from your midst the proud braggarts, and you shall no longer exalt yourself on my holy mountain, but I will leave a remnant in your midst, a people humble and lowly, who shall take refuge in the name of the Lord, the raiment of Israel. They shall do no, no wrong and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their, in their mouths a deceitful tongue. They shall be they shall pasture and coach their flock with no with none to disturb them. It's a lot here. <laughs> well, it's talking about tyrannical city. And obviously, and then it talks about you know, rebellious, polluted, a tyrannical city. She hears no voice, accepts no correction. In the Lord, she has not trusted. To her God, she has not drawn near. So obviously the people who live within that city do not look, uh, are wicked. They are tyrannical, which means that they are oppressive. They oppress other people and they do not look for correction and do not want to hear the word of God. Could be he's talking about Jerusalem. I mean, obviously, he's talking about the people of Israel who live within Jerusalem. And it's often the people in Jerusalem are very stubborn. You know, it's always God is always sending a message against his own people. For then I will change and purify the lips of the people that they all may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the river Ethiopia and as far as the recesses of the north, they shall bring me offerings. Bring me offerings. So obviously a conversion has taken place. On that day, you need not be ashamed of all your deeds, your rebellious actions against me. For then I will remove from your midst the proud braggarts. I guess those who, who it could be the politicians, right? Those who constantly are pushing the people to commit wickedness. Politicians who are always basically figuring out a way to stay in power by giving people uh, the wrong kind of freedoms, right? And then, um, on that day, you need not, need not be ashamed of all your deeds, your rebellious actions against me. For then I will remove from your midst the proud braggarts, and you shall no longer exalt yourself on my holy mountain, but I will leave a remnant in your midst, a people humble and lowly, who shall take refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel, they shall do no wrong and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their midst a deceitful tongue. L lying. There shall be no lies. Obviously it says here, we shall take refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. They shall do no wrong and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue. They shall pasture and coach their flock with none to disturb them. In the end, pasture and... All right, so to pasture and coach your flock, it's, we have to say, it's, it's obviously a foreshadowing, alluding to the gospel, alluding to the church, to the, to the shepherds of the church who are supposed to guide the, the people their people, the new Israel, which is the church. Now, 
Um, much of this is like obviously referring to to the city rebellious and polluted, to the tyrannical city. Much of the much of the prophecies were always against Jerusalem because of their leaders, because of their apostasy. And, you know, obviously, rebellious. I mean, what, what, look at the word, rebellious. Woe to the city, rebellious and polluted. Now, if it's not referring to a Gentile city, like the Phoenicians or Babylon, they're, they're already pagan, right? They're already pagan. But to the rebellious and polluted city, only one place can be called rebellious, and that would have to be Jerusalem. Much of the prophecies always spoke against Jerusalem, always speaking against the people of Judah, always speaking against the, the children of Jacob. So the rebellious and polluted city, all right, and tyrannical city, the city that slaughters its prophets, the city that, 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 that obviously uh, persecutes faithful people. Okay, and it goes on here. She hears no voice, accepts no correction. That's obviously referring to Jerusalem. Okay? In the Lord, she has not trusted. It's not referring to a pagan city. It's Jerusalem. To her God, she has not drawn near. For then I will change and purify the lips of the people. Remember like Isaiah, when the angel took a coal from the burning coal and touched it to his mouth, so he would, so he would be, um, you know, he would have clean lips, he would be purified, <clears throat> that, that they all may call upon the name of the Lord, Jerusalem, to serve him with one accord, all right, from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia and as far as the recesses of the north, they shall bring me offerings. On that day, you need not to be ashamed of all your deeds, her, their sinful behavior, your rebellious actions against me, Jerusalem. For then I will remove from your midst the proud braggarts, the politicians, the corrupt politicians. Look, look at the kind of politicians we have today. And you shall no longer exalt yourself on my holy mountain, but I will leave a remnant in your midst, a people humble and lowly, who shall take refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. They shall do no wrong and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue. And they shall pasture and coach their flock with none to disturb them. Much of this is also now, how do we as Christians relate to this? We look to, we take what happened to Israel before in the past to what's happening now in our day. And what's happening now in our day is also like a rebellion, also like, uh, you know, with, with bad, with bad, with bad leadership. You know, we're going through some pretty bad times. When the gospel was given to the world and the death and resurrection of Christ and he began the church, much of the, uh, the covenant that passed from Israel to the church, Christ is 
is a Jewish Messiah. We we are in Christ, one body, one blood. We are part of the covenant, you know, and that's something we have to, you know, we have to learn. We have to learn to see what happened in the past is happening now. It's not, you know, we're not above it. You know, we have some pretty bad corrupt leaders now. We have both in the church, we have some bad shepherds and we have some bad politicians now. You know, those who claim to be part of the faith, they're not. All right, so let's go to um, the psalm. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times and praise shall ever be on my mouth. Let my soul glory in the Lord. The lowly will hear me and be glad. Look to him that you may be radiant with joy and your faces may not blush with shame. When the poor one called out, the Lord heard and from all his distress, he saved him. The Lord confronts the evildoers and destroys to destroy remembrance of them from the earth. When the just cry out, the Lord hears them, and from all their distress he rescues them. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and those who are crushed in spirit he saves. The Lord redeems the lives of his servants. No one incures guilt who takes refuge in him. Yeah, this is for us is always to look to, to our Lord. You know this. I mean, the Psalms are always encouragement are always an encouragement to deal with, you know, whenever we're in a state of sin, whenever we we deal with family problems, issues, work problems, temptations, um, you know, uh, we're dealing with all kinds of personal temptations and everything like that. We always got to look to our Lord and we always got to look to the sacraments to keep us holy. And of course, you know, again, we're continuing with re much readings about John the Baptist you know, the Lord here gives uh, comparisons of the one son who was told, um, given orders by the father, and he says he'll do it, but he never did. And the second son who said no, but then changed his mind and went out to do the work is referring to um, the difficulty, the relationship that both Gentile and Jew have uh, in keeping their relationship with with the lord i mean uh, you know there's there's a there's there is a, a really a, you could say a family squabble between the elder brother elder brothers of faith which is israel and with the younger brothers the younger member of the faith which is the church and you know and even and even let's say we we, we gentiles in the covenant of christ we haven't had it easy as well. We, I mean, we've had difficulty as well. Members within the church, bad clergy, bad members, uh, bad shepherds, and, um, you know, prideful uh, teachers with, you know, basically corrupting and misinterpreting the gospel. We've had a difficult time. We've had a difficult time as well. And I'm sure there was probably something very similar going on in ancient, in, with, with Israel. I mean, through the, you know, I mean, look at the Maccabean revolt. There was, um, there was apostasy within, within, within Israel that wanted to be like the Gentiles. You know, these things we've had, you know, we've suffered and we've done, we've dealt a lot with it and we're still going through it even now. All right. So let me read uh, from the day Christ was born. All right. So let's begin. 
where we left off. Uh, Joseph and Mary just reached Jerusalem, and um, you know, they appears that Mary has never seen Jerusalem, and Joseph. Uh, which is kind of surprising the way Jim Bishop wrote it, that he didn't see it as a boy. He most likely would have seen it being constructed. Anyway, so uh, let's begin. Darkness is upon us, said Mary. She had a feeling of foreboding. She wanted to proceed to Bethlehem for no reason other than that she was trembling and the baby was unusually quiet. Joseph stopped in mid-speech. He knew that she would not have interrupted him unless there was a reason. He asked if she desired to get down and have some privacy. She said no, and without further conversation, he led the donkey westward into the valley, across the little wooden bridge, over the Kidron, and beneath the great wall of the city, and then by the valley of Hinnom, and up into the hills between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. It was soon night and moonless. Joseph gently and slowly, but yet stumbling on stones underfoot and wondering how much of a man he would be if a bunch of bandits just jumped out from the dark. There was little traffic on the road. A few residents who lived near Jerusalem hurried by trying to reach home without spending an extra night under the stars. Something happened suddenly to Mary, and she knew in a moment that this would be the night of the baby. She asked Joseph to stop, and he became alarmed, and asked if she was quiet. No, she said. I feel no pain, but we must find an inn. The baby, Joseph, with God's help, will be born tonight. Joseph was frightened. He knew nothing about these things. Thinking of Mary, how could one imagine such mysterious supernatural things calculated to unnerve the most serene young woman? To have first a baby is in itself a towering wordless joy, a living proof of the most common miracle, a sad tenderness to constrict the heart and misty eyes, to give birth to a firstborn who is God and the Son of God and the second person of the Holy Trinity is at age 15 or any age a heavy responsibility than any other person ever bore an enormity of weight which could be maintained only by one too young to appreciate it. Mary's background. Now, Mary was born and raised in Nazareth, the child of average family. She played on the streets. She played on the streets like all little girls and other with all the other kids. And she was subject to parental discipline. Joseph knew her, even though he was four years older. All the houses in Nazareth were in the same neighborhood because it was a small town. The biggest event that could occur in Nazareth was for a father to take his kids to a nearby Greek city called Zephoras to shop in the bazaar. 
The people were knit closely in their daily lives, and the women met daily at the uh, you know in the morning at the village well. When Mary reached her thirteenth birthday, it was permissible to ask for her in marriage. The proper form was as followed: Joseph first asked his parents if he could marry Mary. He was seventeen, an apprentice carpenter in the neighborhood, and more than a year away from having his own shop. It was assumed that a serious-minded young Jew of 17 was a responsible adult. Joseph's parents discussed the matter of marriage and in time paid a formal call on Mary's parents. The entire neighborhood knew in advance with what negotiations were at hand. And from a draped doorway to draped doorway, the women discussed it as they wish, as they washed the stones in, in front of their houses. Mary was not supposed to know of the matter, but had ipso facto knowledge of it all along and had made known her, her wishes to her mother and father. Joseph, who thought it was a deep, pending secret, was amazed and embarrassed to find that the boss carpenter and the tradesmen were not only aware of his wishes, but looked at him archly and stroked their beards and made him the butt of jokes. The parents engaged in their formal discussion. It was necessary as part of the little ceremonial tradition to talk of a dowry. But Mary's people had none. Their economic situation was no better and no worse than Joseph's family. As long as the man of the house remained in good health, they would not starve. When the two... Great. I apologize for the noise. I've been struggling to try to put this together all day. And it appears to be in the evening, it's no better. Anyway, so I'll continue. The parents engaged in their formal discussion. It was necessary as part of the ceremonial talk to talk of a dowry, but Mary's family had none, and their economic situation was no better and no worse than Joseph's. As long as the man of the house remained in good health, they would not starve. When the two mothers and fathers, the parents, were agreed to the kotashan, which is the engagement, this is a formal betrothal and much more binding than any other. The Quitashan has the finality of marriage. Once the marriage contract was negotiated, even though the marriage ceremony had not occurred, the bridegroom-to-be could not be rid of his betrothed except through divorce. Now, the Quitashan in Judea, a little bit more liberal, you could say, also entitled the couple to a lawful sexual relation, even though each of the par parties were still living at home with their parents. However, in the country of Galilee and in the South, the people were more conservative. They renounced the privilege more than 500 years before, and purity was maintained through the final marriage vows. Still, if Joseph had been 
have died between the Quidditchon and the marriage, Mary would have been his legal widow. If in the same period another man had knowledge of her, sexual knowledge, Mary would have been punished as an adulteress to death. The waiting time was spent according to custom in shopping for a small home and furniture. The nusuan or wedding ceremony would be almost anticlimactic. A big party of the ceremony was the solemn welcome of the bridegroom to his bride at the door of his home or new home. Throughout the engagement, Mary, of course, lived with her parents and accepted the daily chores set out for her. At a time midway between engagement and formal marriage, Mary was alone one day and was visited by the angel Gabriel. She was alarmed, to be sure, but not as frightened as she would have been had she not heard stories of such visits from the elders. Mary lived after the days of the great prophets and great visions and visitations. Gabriel stood before her. He saw a dark, modest child of 14. Rejoice, child of grace, he said. The Lord is your helper. You are blessed beyond all women. Mary did not like the sound of the last sentence. Her hands began to tremble. Why would she, a little country girl, be blessed beyond all women? Did it mean she was about to die? Was she being taken perhaps to a faraway place, never again to see her mother and father and Joseph? She said nothing. She tried to look away, not only because of terror, but because it was considered bad manners in Judea for one to stare directly into the eyes of another. But her eyes were magnetized. She stared and lowered her eyes and stared again. Gabriel's voice softened. Do not tremble, Mary, he said. You have found favor in the eyes of God. Behold, you are to be a mother and to bear a son and to call him Jesus, Yeshua. He will be great, son of the Most High. He will be his, son of the Most High will be his title. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father. David, he will be king over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingship, there will be no end. Can't seem to get a break with all the car horns. The words did not calm her. Mary vaguely, she understood that she was to be the mother of the king of kings, but who might this be and how could it occur when she was not even married? How will this be, she said shyly, since I remain a virgin. It was Gabriel's turn to become more specific. He stood in soft radiance in the room and explained, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For this reason, the child to be born will be acclaimed holy and the son of God. She now understood the words, but they added to her bewilderment. What the angel was saying, she reasoned with some 
was, was something for which the Jews had been waiting for centuries. The Messiah, the Savior, God came to God come to earth as he had promised long ago. Mary shook her head. Not not her, not her. Gabriel sensed the child needed more proof. Note moreover, he said, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. She who was called the barren. Nothing indeed is impossible for God. Her eyes lowered to the earthen floor and her head inclined to. She comprehended. She also understood that the angel had told her about her old cousin Elizabeth, whom she had not seen for some time, so that the fruitfulness of her kinswoman would be the earthly seal of proof to the heavenly words. She was a young virgin and was blessed by the Holy Spirit, and she would bear a male child who would be God. It was an enormous honor, but she had been taught to accept and obey the will of God from the first moments of her understanding. Regard me as the humble servant of the Lord, she murmured. May all that you have said be fulfilled in me. The angel stood before her in silence, fading slowly from her vision. Bit by bit into all that was visible was the wall. Mary's impulse was to run and find her mother. She must tell, she must ask counsel, she must convince her mother that she was not inventing a story. Exultation came and it was transmuted to anguish. It was not a dream, or was it? Could one dream standing wide awake in one's house? No, it was not a dream. She knew that it, it could not be because she could not have devised the words that Gabriel used. No, for a moment, she had trouble remembering them. She wrung her hands and prayed for recollection. Full recollection. She had to know every word and more importantly to understand every word. She prayed and thought and prayed. Little by little, the words and the phrases returned until like a familiar litany, she could recite them without hesitation. She thought again of her mother and decided not to tell her. If the angel had wanted her mother to know, he would have come when her mother was at home so that both of them would have had knowledge of this thing. He had desperately selected a time when she was alone. Therefore, it must be the will of God. She keep the secret anyway. If her mother or anyone else knew the secret, they would tell, they would, t uh, you know, they would tell it to her, and thus she would know which human beings God has selected to know of her of her honor. Surely, she thought Joseph would know. He was her intended husband, and the angel would have, would have to tell Joseph, if. He didn't then, what would Joseph think when she became great with child and he knew the baby was not his? Oh, yes, the angel surely would tell Joseph. Okay, I'm going to end it there. All right. And um, it's very interesting. Um, sorry about all this. Uh, it's been quite noisy, noisy lately. I don't know why. 
I mean, I've been having some work done in my apartment and everything. And, um, I, uh, you know, the guys just left, but unfortunately I have a noisy neighbor and I seem to be living in a noisy neighborhood. Um, I was hoping that it would be quiet and, um, I want to apologize if my editing is bad on my podcast. Um, if I messed up, I really do apologize. I try very hard to not make mistakes and unfortunately it happens sometimes, but, um, I like so far, it's very interesting. I mean, it's, you know, we, you know, I mean, the, the tradition uh, of Galilee was far more conservative than that of Jerusalem. But it's kind of interesting. That's where the temple is. And you would think in Judea that they would be a little bit more conservative about these engagements, betrothals, ceremonies, and everything else. And that little loose thing in the middle where the guy actually had the right to have relations with his wife during that whole time was a little, it's a little unusual. I kind of, I don't know. It seemed very liberal to me. I, I, I would assume it sounds very liberal because I've heard this before, but it's very unusual. Um, so I'm going to end it here um, and I'll come back to you again later on. God bless folks and um, enjoy your Advent. I hope everything is peaceful. I hope you and your families are safe. Uh, pray for me and uh, let's pray for the country as well. All right. God bless.